Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. We made it to Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey is off today. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be busy this afternoon. We've got a, a lot to get to. Great news coming uh, today from the Southeastern Conference. It's news that we anticipated, but uh, when you get it officially, Uh, It still makes you feel good. We are loaded today on the Farm Bureau phone line, the guest line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Kendall Rogers will join us from d1baseball.com. That's a little bit later here in the 3 o'clock hour. We will talk with him with all the, uh, I guess just kind of discuss more of the details of uh, this moving the baseball season back a month proposal. Uh, that the story on their website uh, broke yesterday. JT will join us to start the 4 o'clock hour. We'll just kind of check in on him, visit with him, might get some uh, grilling suggestions, and uh, I'm sure he's going to have some thoughts on NASCAR as well. John Harris from the Houston Texans will join us in the uh, 5 o'clock hour, kind of get the latest on uh, what he thinks is happening with the NFL. And Mike Bianco, head baseball coach at Ole Miss, will join us in the 5 o'clock hour as well. He is one of the coaches... Uh, that was involved, not necessarily on that committee, but uh, certainly gave his input into the decision to potentially push the college baseball season back. Uh, we'll get his thoughts on uh, on that and uh, what's going on as well. Also reports in the, uh, the last couple of days out uh, that Mike Bianco and Keith Carter have agreed to a contract extension for the uh, Rebels head baseball coach that will push him back out to four years. Uh, you may remember the news from last year. Uh, when they uh, chose not to extend uh, Mike's contract out to the uh, full four years. So after this season, which obviously was a shortened season, he would have had only two years left on his deal. Uh, the fact that Ole Miss played as well as they did, they were off to a 16-1 and start, and things just kind of felt a little bit different around the program. I, I think all of that played in uh, to the uh, contract extension, pull, uh, pushing him back out to the maximum allowed uh, by the state of Mississippi. Ceasefire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. At Ceasefire, they're not just saying they care, they're taking action to show it through COVID-19 and every day. From free wireless data for educational websites to connecting businesses with the tools to work from home, you can learn more at cspire.com slash cares. Friday afternoon, Borky, did, did it rain where you were overnight? Or was it all north of you? Must have all been north of me. We had big-time thunderstorms. I got an email this morning from the uh, golf course that said uh, two and a half inches of rain overnight. 
but it uh, it burned off about the time the sun came up or shortly thereafter this morning and has been beautiful in north mississippi so uh how's your day day's good uh especially with this uh, announcement i've been searching for good news lately it's really hard to find it's hidden uh, among all the negative stuff but i was really happy to see that today and i also read i couldn't sleep this morning like five or six a.m that that uh, vaccine at Oxford University. Uh, they're going to the next level of trials. They are testing yeah. it on 10,200 people uh, of all age ranges. So they have uh, people 70 and above and 16 and below even. Uh, so they are still anticipating a September launch, if you will, hmm. uh, of this uh, vaccine. So wasn't that in a partnership with AstraZeneca? Is that right? I believe so, yeah. Okay. One of the big pharmaceutical companies. So, so yeah, yeah, hopefully uh, good news on that front. So we get good news on the, the vaccine side, the medical side, and then we get good news on the football side, and we're entering a three-day weekend. This is a really good day. It's not a bad Friday. Hey, Dad, what is up? What's going on, guys? Not a whole lot of up here in Starville. Yeah? What's the plan for the weekend? It's fried chicken weekend. Fried chicken weekend. That means indoor activity in terms of cooking. I mean, I thought about putting a big pot of hot grease over the open fire, but I, I just don't know if that'll work. Well, if you could uh, use one of those burners outside, like you use, you know, for a crawfish boil or something like that. I, well, I'd have to purchase one, and I don't have yeah. that. So, I've got one of those somewhere. I, I could loan it to you, but then you would have to drive here to get it. And then I have to probably yeah, it'd be it's, easier it's, just to purchase one, or maybe yeah, use exactly. your kitchen. Yeah, that's what we're gonna do. Uh, so is this like grandmother's recipe for fried chicken? No, this is my recipe, which you could have heard about as you listened to me yesterday on Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, clearly I missed that, as did, I'm sure, some others, although certainly there were people that heard it as well. But since I didn't hear it then, tell me more. I mean, it's, it's really simple. I like to, you know, I season the chicken and the flour. So, you know, you get it, you make sure you get it in every bite. Uh, you know, just a pretty simple seasoning: salt, pepper, garlic, uh, onion powder, uh, some cayenne, some some poultry seasoning, and uh, you know, just let the seasoning sit on it for a little while. Then let the flour sit on it for a little while. Fry it up. Very simple. So, so is it as simple as you take the chicken while it's still wet with the seasoning on it and dip it in the flour and immediately put it in the uh, in the grease? Or no, I let, I let I let it sit in the flour. I let it sit. I take it out of the flour and put it on a rack. And let it sit there for a couple minutes, just let that flour sort of set up on it, and yeah. then I put it in the fry, and then I put it in the oil. To get a little crispier that way, I think so. Okay, I, maybe I, I don't think I'm crazy about this. My grandmother used to uh, fry chicken on uh, on Sundays, and that was my yeah. favorite meal at her house. Uh, she lived in Coffeeville at the time. That's kind of where my memories growing up are from uh, from being uh, at, at grandmother and papa's house. Uh, rest her soul and rest his soul as well. But I was always more excited about fried chicken sun, uh, Sunday than I was about uh, roast Sunday or whatever oh, yeah, yeah. other sure. things might come along. Uh, fried chicken was my favorite. I'm trying to, for some reason, I feel like she used to take all of her flour mixture that she was going to bread the chicken in and would put it in a brown paper sack like you used mm-hmm. to get at the grocery store. Yeah, and then would put all the chicken down in there, and would kind of shake it around to get good coverage. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's an old school. Yeah, no, no, I've I've heard of that. Yeah, man, 
Man, it sounds good right now. What? What? Well, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, cheese grits, cheese grits. Okay. Mm -hmm. And some biscuits. You doing the? You doing the Brussels sprouts again? No, I, I I did Brussels sprouts. What? Was it last weekend? I don't even remember. It's starting to run together for me. Um, no, no. There's no other vegetable. Just the cheese grits. Okay. And the biscuits. Is biscuits a vegetable? I don't think so. so. Yeah, cornbread is good with uh, fried chicken. <laughs> cornbread, I swear. <laughs> I kid. Uh, Jeff in Grenada, C Spire text line. Gospel bird, Sunday chicken. <laughs> well played. That's true. Uh, Thomas in Greenwood says, no milk and egg wash for a thicker crust. That's kind okay. of, I don't do that, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get to uh, this big story. Borky, are you a fried chicken guy? Um, yeah, yeah. I don't make it all that often, though. Yeah. Hey, I'm one of those. If I'm cooking something, I want to do it outside as much as possible. Time to get an outdoor kitchen. <laughs> Give me a raise, buddy. Well, you're doing everything else in the backyard. You might as well do that as well. I've thought about Baby building steps, myself right? a little canopy or something in. Uh, Saving up and getting one of those really nice like grill, not just like a rack, but like a whole area, and then try to do more of it out there. I I want to do as much outside as humanly possible. Okay. Hard for me to argue with that. Jesse says brown paper bag method is the correct way to do fried fish. Yes, I agree with that too. Okay. The SEC took a major step forward in the potential of starting the football season on time today. It was not quite as soon as some people thought it was going to be. There were people that thought June 1st was going to be the day. It is not June 1st. It is June 8th. Voluntary in-person athletics activities may resume on Southeastern Conference campuses at the discretion of each university beginning June 8th under strict supervision of designated university personnel and safety guidelines developed by each institution. That was the announcement that came from the lead office earlier today. The SEC had previously suspended all athletics activities through May 31st. June 8th will begin a transition period that will allow student athletes to gradually adapt to full training and sports activity after this recent period of inactivity. Under plans developed by each university and consistent with state and local health directives, certain activities will be permitted based on the ability to participate in controlled and safe environments while also maintaining recommended social distancing measures. There's a lot of the verbiage that you would expect in this announcement, but the big part of the announcement is the fact that on June 8th, football players can start coming back to campus. We all knew it was coming, but we're just glad to hear it anyway. Yes. Absolutely. You wanted to believe it was coming. I guess there was a chance that it could have been June 15th. There was a chance that it could have been June 1st. They decided to settle in the middle. And so uh, June 8th is the day that uh, student-athletes can start returning to campus, which means preparing for the college football season. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Jeff on the ceasefire text line says, I know there's about a 0% chance of this happening, but I wish the SEC would put on a baseball tournament for a couple of weeks. Yeah, 
tend to agree with you that I think there's about a zero percent chance of that happening, Jeff. Just and, and it's not even so much the logistics. I mean, I guess that's part of it, but it's the whole guys haven't played since the first weekend, first full weekend in March, and or well, maybe it's the middle of the second week of March, and the ramp up time to get ready for that probably put some strain on some arms that you'd rather not uh, deal with at this point and then the logistics of it as well I mean you got guys scattered all over the place and I would not anticipate baseball players coming back to campus until sometime probably either end of July or beginning of August we'll ask Mike Bianco about that when uh, we talk with him a little bit later this afternoon when he anticipates uh, beginning to get his guys back on uh, campus it may just be with the start of the uh, of the fall semester in uh, in mid-August, uh, guys, a question that we've kicked around a good bit, and it feels like it uh, is more reasonable to ask this question now. I know you're still asking a question that ultimately doesn't have an answer to it, but nevertheless, student athletes, football players coming back on campus starting June eighth. What does that do to your level of confidence that we are playing football the weekend of Labor Day, September 5th, 6th, 4th, 5th, 6th, somewhere in there? I'm as close to 100% as I feel like I can be right now. Maybe I'm like 99% that we're playing football on the first weekend of September. Do you believe that fans will be in the stands for that opening weekend? That I'm not totally sure about. I believe that some fans will be in the stands, though. I don't think it'll be a packed house by any stretch of the imagination, but they're they're going to come up with a way to get people in there. Borky, where are you on the confidence meter? It's changed some. I I maintained for a while that I think they're going to play football, and as we've talked about it a hundred times, because they have to, not because they want to. It's just it's simply going to get done because the ramifications for it not getting done are so great that. There's no possible way they can go without it. It makes me more confident that they're going to start on time, for sure. And I saw today that the Steelers, for example, announced that they're only right now going to sell 50% of their stadium in preparation for social distancing. Of course, that can change if they find... It was 50% of the individual game tickets, not season tickets. Yeah, And if they can find a way, that'll change. And I think they're going to start on time, and honestly, I would be more surprised if it is 50%, let's say, versus 100%. Really? I mean, again, no, we got we got 12 or so weeks before they really yeah. have to make decisions on this thing. And think about how much You're has right. changed in the last 12 weeks. There is, you got to dig for it, but there is so much advancement going on in treatment methods and tracing methods and more data about the the safety of it and the transmission of it and it's not as easy maybe as some people there's just more that we know now that they are catering and tailoring the the prevention methods towards on top of there's potentially going to be a vaccine in September i i keep thinking that the more they know the more likely we're going to be able to go to full venues sooner rather than later and maybe it's just stupidity. I have supreme confidence in the smart people that are working on this and trying to figure it out. They've gone so far in a few months. and a few more months, they're going to go even further. 
Yeah, I agree with that. There are a couple of things you said, though, that I would raise questions about. Uh, number one, 12 weeks to figure it out. I, I don't think that's realistic because 12 weeks from now you're sitting at August 22nd and you're two weeks from kickoff or maybe yeah, two, two weeks from kickoff at that point. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to pick nits or, or like deal in semantics. I just think the decisions of, okay, what's the stadium going to look like on opening day for the first you know, month of the season, I think those decisions are going to have to be made way before we get to August 22nd we're two weeks from kickoff. Why is that? Now, I, I do think they will be made much later than normal Well, because you got to you got to sell those tickets and you got to distribute those tickets, and, and you got to give fans the ability to book hotel rooms, figure out okay, is this the weekend I'm I, I'm allowed to come to the stadium, things like that. Yeah, I but, mean, I guess but, that I guess that certainly plays into it. I, I worry less, hey, Dad, about that piece of it than just the logistics of distributing somewhere between thirty-five and sixty thousand tickets in a two-week window. And expecting that process to go smoothly. It's all now, digital maybe it's a now. Little bit not, about say not year. a problem for Ole Miss. Ole Miss is doing I, it I, digitally. I, that's exactly what I was about to say. Less of an issue this year because of the digital piece of it. If you've got to print and send out paper tickets or plastic tickets or whatever they are, maybe that makes it a little more difficult. Um, well, if you're still do, if that's your only method of ticket distribution, you're behind anyway. I mean, uh, the, I, I have not had a paper ticket to go to a game. And of course, because all the games I go to anymore, I'm purchasing on StubHub and whatnot. But I've never, I, I have not in four years, and I haven't been to that many games either. But I have not in four years used a paper ticket for entry to anything. I'm talking concerts, everything I have had on my phone. Yeah. I just my my que- I asked uh, why not because for example, I, I was talking with. Uh, rippy about it this morning and how you're going to do season tickets because like gene smith for example the athletic director at ohio state said that they are preparing for multiple capacity levels at ohio stadium Mm -hmm. so if you are doing that and let's say because a place like ohio state they're selling out their season tickets every single year no matter what and i imagine they've probably already done that at least sold more than the 50 percent or the 20 percent capacity that he mentioned is it too difficult to say thank you for your purchase of your season ticket it is possible that you can't use these this year and if that is the case they will be refunded by this date can't you like like just uh, get ahead of this by saying you bought your tickets you will keep your priority points or whatever they use um, you, you will keep them even if you can't use them, and if you can't use them, we will refund them in full. So you can have people that that have seats that they buy their tickets, and you can prepare for them to be there, and also have like Gene Smith's plan, multiple different capacity levels, and then when you have to make that decision, you 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 already have that information in the people's hands that bought the tickets to your games. It's funny yeah, we're talking about I, I this. Twenty four seven Sports that. just did a uh, article. The era of the paper ticket is nearing an end. So apparently we're ahead of the game, boys. Yeah. I, uh, my biggest question with regard to the idea of social distancing within the stadium. 
I mean, it's easy to say, you know, you got to have two empty seats between every person, but that's not practical because why do you have to have two empty seats between each member of a family of four or five or six that goes to a ballgame? Those people live together. They rode in the yeah. car together. You're not going to spread those people out. So, you know, what what does that even look like? And go further and, and are with you that. Gonna have... your... Go further well, with that, Richard. Just... I mean, you've got your kids. You'll say you're taking your kids to a game. Are you going to let your – I mean, I don't know how old your youngest is, but they're going to sit two seats away from mom? That's not going to work. Yeah. No, it's not going to work. And, and yeah, I mean, are you going to have to hire a bunch of people to be traipsing up and down the stands? Up, 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 up. Put two seats between you. No, 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 no. You can't. You can't be sitting next. It's like to a each Catholic other. high school dance. And have some room for the Holy Spirit. And, and I don't. <laughs> I haven't heard that in a long time, but that's such a good line. Your question, though, is why I think. I, I am trending more towards thinking that it may be open because it, it's hard to enforce. What about it, students? And good luck yeah. enforcing that. My goodness. I mean, could you imagine trying to get college students to not be around each other? Good luck. I need you to sit two seats apart from your date. And especially after you score a big touchdown. Do not, don't touch each other. Don't high five. Don't tell it. Nope. Texas A&M tradition dies right here. Well, actually, you know, maybe we should have facilities stay at 50% and social distance after all. Based on making Texas A&M's traditions die? <laughs> I'm joking, man. They're great. They're weird. They're cultish. But they're uniquely them. Better them than, uh, than us. Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball will join us when we come back. We'll talk more about this uh, baseball proposal that we started talking about yesterday after a great story by the guys at D1 Baseball. Uh, That's coming up next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Quick timeout, Sports Talk Mississippi. Normally, this is a conversation that would be happening high above the first base grandstands down the right field line at the Hoover Met. It would be an elimination day. There would be a couple of teams that would be sitting in the driver's seat, not playing on this Friday, and we would be talking to Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball. We are talking to Kendall Rogers, but instead, it is on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Kendall, I love the SEC tournament. I love Hoover. I know there are people who think conference tournaments are a waste of time. It's tough not being there this week, though. No, it really is. I mean, you look at conference tournaments, and there, you know, there's certainly reasons not to have them. But I think when you look at the the SEC tournament, you know, you take the you know the best teams, uh, you know, in the best conference, and put them all in one spot for a week, and uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's there are long games. I'll tell you what, uh, I I would do anything to go back this week and you know sit through 17 innings of Mississippi State and LSU at this point. So, uh, you know, it's it stinks that we don't have a conference tournament this week, but. Uh, you know, that that just kind of makes everybody a little more eager to look forward to the 2021 season. I'll let you put your reverse Nostradamus hat on just for a second. I, I certainly <laughs> want us to get to the story from yesterday. Um, who are the – who are the? well, I guess what's the one team other than Missouri that would have not made it to the SEC tournament? Would it have been Kentucky? Yeah, I, I didn't see Kentucky making it. I think when you look at UK earlier in the year – you know, it looked like they were going through some clubhouse issues. They struggled in a series of TCU. Uh, you know, and so I think when you look at UK, I just thought they had a lot of holes. And 
Yeah, I think probably for me it would be U.K. Uh, or South Carolina. I wasn't totally sold on South Carolina. If you look at what the, the game talks did early on, uh, you know, they lost a series at home to Northwestern. They lost a series to Clemson. And so they were going to have to do really well in conference play to actually make the, the NCAA tournament. You know, the one team, Richard, that I'm, you know, disappointed that we didn't have the season because I was really intrigued to see what they did at conference uh, is Alabama. I mean, Alabama was off to a 16-1 start. You know, Connor Prelip, a freshman for them on Friday nights, was uh, outstanding. Uh, they hadn't, hadn't allowed a run in four starts. And so, man, I, I was really looking forward to seeing what they did in SEC play. I know Brad O'Hannon uh, really liked his club. You know, did, was that going to translate into wins in the SEC? That would have been very interesting. So, uh, yeah, I think for me, Kentucky would have been the team left out. Yeah, Kendall, I've, I've had some of those moments throughout the course of the year. I'd gotten a partial television schedule, and, and two of the games that I had relatively early were Alabama and Auburn in Tuscaloosa. And I think that would have been a really fun series and probably would have told us a lot uh, about those two teams in, uh, in in conference play and about their chances for the postseason. Um, yeah. W- w- would Mississippi State and or Ole Miss have hosted? <laughs> I think both would. I, I think Mississippi State would have barely hosted. You know, I think we all kind of admit that when you look at state overall, obviously JT Ginn probably wasn't going to come back on the mound this year. So, I mean, right. that was a definite question mark. So, you know, I think Mississippi State would have ended up hosting, but it had been very close. Um, I think Ole Miss would have been a slam dunk host. I think they probably would have ended up a top eight seed. Um, and then we'll actually kind of have an interesting exercise on Monday. We, we went back last night as a staff uh, and kind of looked at the first four weeks and kind of dissected every team and basically put together a field of what we thought the field would probably look like at the end of the year after we went through all the schedules. And uh, Ole Miss was in our top eight. I, I just think when you look at that club, uh, you know, they were off to just a terrific start. You know, Anthony Servideo up the middle uh, was off to a great start. And then, you know, obviously on the mound, uh, they were off to a nice start as well. So uh, I, I was pretty high on Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I think Ole Miss was a team I probably would have bought a little bit more stock on just because they don't have that question mark on the mound. But uh, both teams, I, th- I thought, were going to have pretty good springs. You know, you, and, you know, you were talking about kind of your TV schedule. You know, I was supposed to uh, open SEC play uh, in Starkville. The week that we had the season canceled, uh, I was expected to go to Starkville for the Arkansas-Mississippi State Series. I still have not been uh, to the new uh, Duty Noble. So uh, I guess I'll have to wait till next year opening weekend against Arkansas again. Let's, tr- let's try it again. Yeah, no, uh, no reason not to do that. Hey, you actually bring up an interesting point. Has there been any discussion about whether or not they will shuffle what the conference schedule would have been this year, just move it back a year to next season, or is it just yeah. your good luck if you had really good teams from the opposite division that normally would have rotated off? Do you know what the plans are on that front yet? My understanding is it's going to be the exact same schedule. I saw a newspaper article in Nashville and I should have asked Corbs, but, uh, you know, Tim Corbin was in this newspaper article uh, talking about how he was told that, that the schedule was going to stay exactly the same. So I need to double-check with her, Vincent, on that. But it sounds like they're going to go pretty much the same schedule, So, which which I'm totally fine with. I mean, you, nobody played a weekend of conference games, so, uh, you know, why not? Yeah, no, that uh, that certainly makes sense. All right, so we spent a ton of time yesterday on the uh, the story that uh, you and uh, I guess the rest of the yeah. guys worked on at, uh, at D1 Baseball, and there's just so much information in it. Try, try to kind of, Kendall, boil it down to maybe one or two or two or three points that you think are most important. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, when you look at college baseball as a whole, uh, you know, the third, the third assistant vote failed a year ago. 
Um, we're not getting more scholarships. And if your coaches, whether it's you know Eric Backich at Michigan, Tim Corbin at Vandy, or Mike Bieko and Chris Lamonis at you know Ole Miss and Mississippi State, respectively, you've got to look at the, at the bottom line here. And the reason why college baseball is not getting what it probably deserves is because too many programs aren't making money. And oh, by the way, too many programs are total money pits. And so. Uh, if you're college baseball, you've got to look at something different. Um, if you ever want more coaches, you ever want more scholarships, you ever want more budget, um, you've got to be able to make some money. So, uh, you know, I think this proposal from a financial sustainability standpoint makes a lot of sense. You know, fans won't be going to games in Oxford freezing their tails off. I mean, I, I've covered a game in Oxford before when it was like 38 degrees on a Sunday afternoon. Like, nobody's going to that. So, you know, yeah. can you imagine playing LSU – you know, LSU, for instance, was the opening series of conference play this year. And, you know, I can't remember what the weather was, but there's probably a pretty good chance it might have been 45 degrees. I don't know about you, but if I'm people uh, in the outfield at Ole Miss, I would much rather sit out there when it's 75 than when it's 45. So uh, I think from that standpoint, I think it would help attendance in a lot of areas. I think places like Ole Miss would still be solid attendance no matter what. But I think if you started in mid-March, I think the attendance would be incredible. Um, and, you know, I think from a – Student welfare standpoint, I love the idea of like nine weeks of ramp up time. You know, right now in college baseball, you know, pro teams get a, a month of ramp up time. College baseball gets three weeks, and so you know, if the professional ranks are getting that many weeks, and college baseball is only getting three, that is a lot of stress on a, on our pitcher in college baseball. So, uh, I, for me, the financial sustainability uh, and, the, and the kind of the student welfare slash injury, for, you know, aspects of it is what I really really like about this proposal. All right, so you pointed out yesterday that you got the, the five coaches that were on the actual committee chaired by Eric Backich at, uh, at, at Michigan. There were a bunch of other coaches that they talked to and they got input yeah. from. So when you extrapolate this out to 300 coaches across the entire country, or 280 or whatever the exact number is, even if all the coaches are for it, the leadership, athletics directors and presidents have got to be yeah. for it to get it through the D1 Council. Is this going to pass? Uh, I think it's honestly got a great shot. You know, the problem we have with the third assistant is we still had a decent percentage of coaches who were actually totally against it. You know, I think the mid-major coaches uh, were very concerned that the SEC, for instance, would go in there and take, you know, their top assistant, you know, and go make it make them the third assistant at Ole Miss and things like that. So, you automatically had coaches in the mid-major level who were against the third assistant. Um, I've talked to uh, coaches in the SEC. I've talked to coaches in the ACC. I've talked to coaches in every league and, and in a lot of mid-major leagues. And honestly, like, I've not talked to one guy who's against it right now. Uh, I mean, that could change. But, um, you know, right now, I think the SEC, ACC, Big 12, and Big 10 uh, are all in on it. I, I know the Big 12, the Big 10, and the ACC are, and I'm pretty sure – from talking and kind of getting a straw poll that the SEC coaches are. So that leaves the West Coast conferences. Well, you know, we all kind of learn from that third assistant vote. If, you know, four of the five power conferences vote for it, uh, it's going to pass. Like, it just doesn't matter what the Pac-12 wants. So uh, as of right now, I mean, I put the percentages at 65 to 70. And if you remember, uh, my percentages at best on the third assistant were about 45 to 50. So I actually feel pretty good about this, this passing. You know, the one thing that will have to be answered – and this is probably the, the biggest hole in this proposal is, you know, if you're Stanford or, you know, you're Mississippi Valley State or schools like that, you know, you're going to have to keep players uh, on campus for another month or so. Well, yeah. if you're these schools, that's per diem and that's housing. 
And so you're going to have to find a way to show that, you know, the, the travel costs that you save early in the season make up for the, you know, extra expenses in the summer. For most places, uh, that's going to, you know, that's going to make sense. For some places, it will not. So that's going to be the number one question that will have to be answered with some of these schools. But right now, uh, I think Kendall, it's in 30 seconds, it, 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 in 30 seconds, what about summer ball? Because I think that's a big deal for a lot of people. No, you're right. Real quick, I mean, I think when you look at summer ball, you know, 255 Division One teams will have their seasons over by the end of June. Uh, that means that you know, for three weeks, you can use D1 players or excuse me, D2 players. You can use NAI players. You can use JUCO players. And oh, by the way, you can use kind of the high school prospects in that area, no matter what the summer league is. So, you know, you're essentially using replacement players for a couple weeks until the D1 guys show up. So I, I don't really buy the argument that it just kills summer league. Uh, if anything, it opens up more opportunities for more kids to be in the summer league. Hmm. Interesting, uh, interesting thoughts. Always appreciate your time, my friend. I yeah, wish I mean, we were talking on Monday you. about the field of 64, but uh, instead we will read about your projected field of 64. Yeah, right. Well, let's try it next year, Richard. Talk to you later, buddy. Sounds good. That's Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball on the Farm Bureau phone line. boat drinks type of weather around here for some folks. Supposed Umbrellas. to be doing that this weekend, but we'll see if the weather holds up. You're supposed to be having boat drinks? Yes, sir. What do you mean? Drinks on a boat. Oh, like literally you're going to go. I thought I thought you meant you were going to some party where they were serving umbrella drinks or something. No. <laughs> you, you mean quite literally. Because boat drinks, the song, is not really about drinking on a boat. It's about the type of drink. I think. <laughs> I thought it was about the process of consuming drinks on a boat. Well, you don't generally have a waitress on a boat, do you? It's ah, got to be a really big do. boat. Depends on the boat. Re- yeah. yeah, really big boat. Um, why don't you make what Kendall Rogers said? Anything stand out for you? We covered so um, many bases yesterday on this baseball story, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, Seems like it's kind of a slam dunk, doesn't it? I mean, there aren't many yes. people that talk to more coaches in the sport than him, is there? My concern, though, is it's not going to ultimately be about what the coaches think. It's going to be about yeah. how the leadership on some committee, I guess the Division One Council, how they vote. Because the coaches by and large, were for the third paid assistant last year. Yeah, that's uh, true. And then right before the NCAA tournament, that didn't happen. I don't remember... I, I don't know if you remember this from watching regionals a year ago, but the American Baseball Coaches Association had a push. You know, you know you've got the in-game interviews that so many people don't like anyway. There was a push from the ABCA to have its head coaches say... I'm not going to do the interview. We're going to let our volunteer assistant do it. And the idea was to give those guys some credence. And that posed a problem for ESPN as well in, in their television coverage. I mean, it, it had to be addressed. They had to look at that and they say, okay, look, it, if you want to do that one time during the regional, that's fine. But with no disrespect intended, 
Nobody that's watching. There are a lot of people that don't want coach interviews live in-game anyway. Nobody wants to hear from the volunteer assistant coach. Certainly not more than once over the course of a regional weekend. And so, yeah, I think they ultimately kind of came to a compromise and in each of the regional sites we kind of told the story of the volunteer assistant and you know some of the background there's some interesting stuff there but the coaches wanted that and the ABCA wanted that and they didn't get it because the vote went the other way because you didn't necessarily have all the conferences in in lockstep on that uh there are I, I got a text message from a buddy uh, we got a message on the uh, Twitter feed sports talk MISS from Pat think saw something on the um, ceasefire text line as well and all all three messages were the same what about students if the season now runs into june or early july even are you creating an environment that is less home field advantagey if your students are gone Maybe, but regionals happen when students are gone, and look at the student sections when regionals are happening. Not the same thing, but still. Yeah, and and hey, Dad, I don't know what the numbers are at Mississippi State, but the number of students that take summer school classes at Ole Miss now is massive. Yeah, like, I mean, summer school used to be a like thing. Eight, that maybe... 10, 12,000 students take summer classes yeah. on campus. Summer school used to be a thing that you know, like maybe one out of every five students did. Everybody else just went home for a couple of months. Now, everybody goes to summer classes. So, yeah, it, it wouldn't be that huge a uh, a blow if, if you, you, you stop uh, classes early. The student, people would come back. People would just stick around. So, yeah, it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. I don't think. And look, I mean, you got students who are in the business school that have got internships lined up at accounting firms or on Wall Street or whatnot, and you've got students in journalism fields that have got internships at television stations and uh, okay but there are some folks that are going to miss college baseball season i mean there's there are people who have jobs where they work on the weekend welcome to the real world guys yeah yes sorry they'll still be a few of them they'll still be twelve thousand people in the stands at duty noble and at swayze yeah I, i think you're exactly right on that um does the does the answer about the summer league that Kendall gave does that hold water for you? Two hundred fifty five of the teams in all of college baseball will be done playing by the third week of June. Yeah, makes sense. But most of those leagues usually start the first or second week of June, so you can mostly fill it out. And then you've got sixty four teams that are still playing, and then after a weekend, you've only got sixteen teams that are still playing. Then after that weekend, you've only got eight teams that are still playing. You just kind of hold some spots. And maybe it allows some guys to get experience in the Cape Cod or the yeah, the Cotton States League that would have got wouldn't have gotten to play at all. And maybe say you're not guaranteed your spot the whole summer, but we'll guarantee you three weeks on the front end. You can get the experience, and then we've got other guys that are going to come in or are going to take those spots, you know, later in the summer. So maybe it's okay. Sports Talk Mississippi. JT will join us next. Four o'clock hour with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, on this Friday. Thanks for being with us. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. Rippy is off today. Just about to go to the Farm Bureau phone line, but before we do that, let me read you John Cohen from Mississippi State's statement. 
Today's vote by the SEC and Wednesday's vote by the NCAA Division I Council are important steps in the direction of beginning the process toward welcoming our student-athletes back to campus and preparing to begin the fall sports season as currently scheduled. We've been strategically working and collaborating with medical professionals, our university leadership, coaching staffs, and conference leadership on preparing, uh, preparing and implementing a plan based on operating guidelines for our student-athletes and staffs to return to campus to take part in voluntary activities on June 8th. More information will be available. Keeping everybody safe is our highest priority. So that was from John Cohen at Mississippi State. So more steps in the direction of campus is returning to normal this fall or whatever the new normal looks like and college football happening starting in early september and i know one guy that that will make smile jt williamson who is the host of the jt show on super talk mississippi jt we're getting closer and closer to actually having college football again i hope we're also getting closer and closer to having you back on the radio well we're trying richard we're working hard on it buddy hopefully uh here in a few weeks We'll be right back in the saddle, man. That's what I'm hoping and praying for. I'm getting stronger every day, brother. I'm actually, How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I'm sitting in the car right now. My daughter went into the grocery. Uh, my oldest and his wife are home, and we're going we're gonna to do a little cooking out on the grill tonight. So she's in there grabbing some steaks and some chicken, and we're going we're gonna to grill out tonight and enjoy ourselves. So uh, everything is everything's good, man. Getting stronger every day. We got burgers to go on the grill tonight, and I'm looking forward to that uh, as well. JT, I'm actually I'm actually curious because of what you have been through over the the last few months. Obviously, there's a global pandemic going on. We've talked about it more than any of us care to talk about it. How concerning is it to you, though, uh, considering that maybe your immune system is at a weaker state than it's been uh, in previous points of your life? What's the level of concern for you? Richard, I'm going to tell you just as simple as I can put it. It's all in God's hands. I think that's the way it is with everybody. Now, I'm not, I'm not meaning that I'm not taking precautions. Obviously, I am. I use a mask. I use hand sanitizer. I have to go to the doctor twice a week because I have a wound that I got when I was in ICU that I still have to work with, a bed wound I got on my leg. But it's getting much better. But, you know, I, I can't worry. I, I, I I could worry myself to death about a lot more than coronavirus right now. Um, you know, God, I, I've said this before, and I don't know if I've told you or, or with you guys, you know, God performed a miracle on me in St. Dominic's. That's the only reason why I'm talking on the radio today. So it's strengthened my relationship. It's made it stronger. It's made me understand a lot of things a lot better about life and about, you know, going about the way you go about life. Obviously, we all need to take precautions. We're doing it every day, but I'm not going to let it be something that uh, I let it just, you know, bother me. So enough about me. Let's don't talk about me. Borky said y'all want to talk about NASCAR, and I think I got a good story for you here. All right, if you got a good story, I want to hear it. So we've had we've had two Cup Series races so far, both at Darlington. Right. Is that right? Or has there only been one, two? There's been, and we've there's had been one two. Xfinity race. There was an Xfinity race yesterday. That was supposed yep. to be run on Tuesday night. First of all, the Sunday night race pulled in about 100,000 less few viewers than the premiere of the Michael Jordan documentary, which was huge for NASCAR. Yeah. I mean, it was literally that close. It was like six, I don't know, whatever the number is. I don't know. Over six million people. 
Yeah, they, they were right there with it, which was huge for NASCAR. Not as good a race Sunday as the race they had Wednesday night with the drama with Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott, which was a great race because the track had a lot of grip. It was really fast. The guys could pass. They were fighting for the lead right there at the end. Chase Elliott would have won that race if Kyle Busch wouldn't have taken him out. Kyle Busch said today that he texted, that he actually called Chase Elliott. They talked. He said they got it worked out. They said Chase, and he even said Chase Elliott was a class act, something that they tweeted. I know, thought we were going to see a little brawl after that was over, but pretty interesting. NASCAR didn't find Chase Elliott for getting out of the car and showing Kyle Busch the international peace symbol, which is yeah. in the rule book that says you can't do it, but NASCAR kind of let it go, uh, probably for the fact that everybody kind of liked it. Kyle Busch is sort of like the modern day Dale Earnhardt. You kind of love him or hate him. A lot of people hate him. But the fact is, the cat can drive. Now, he said he just was made a mistake. you got to take him for his word. Uh, it looked like to me he had a lot of room to merge, but he merged quickly. Uh, that was the Wednesday night race. My daughter's even gotten into this, been watching it. Of course, she thinks hmm. Chase Elliott's hot, so I think that's got something to do with it. <laughs> more than, more than, hey, who's more your guy? What, I, mean, uh, I like Chase Elliott a lot. I really do. And you know, his name's Clyde. Because you think he's hot? No, I don't think he's hot. He's Bill Elliott's son, and he's named after his grandfather, Clyde Elliott. That's his real name. His real name is Clyde, but he goes by Chase. That's kind of his name that he uses. But his real name is Clyde Elliott, and he's very much a very astute pilot as well. Uh, He flies all over the place for a young guy not much older than or actually younger than my son. So he's a pretty amazing guy and worth a lot of money. Uh, driving that Napa car. But let me tell you the story about yesterday. A lot of people didn't realize it. The Xfinity race was run yesterday afternoon after more rain out. They ran it yesterday afternoon, and a young man named Chase Briscoe won the race, Richard. And his wife had a miscarriage two days before. It was their first child they were expecting. It was very early on, as you know. And it's common in young couples. I realize that. But it still doesn't make it any easier. No. And for him to have to go out and compete not being there with his wife, not being able to be there with his wife. And he told his wife before he left that he was going to win that race. He won that race yesterday, and he defended off Kyle Busch, who was giving him everything he wanted on the last lap. And Chase Briscoe won the race. Got out of the car, got on his knees, and thank God, right there in front of box, cameras, everything, kneeling beside his car, he was in tears. And when they finally got the mic to him, he lifted it all up to God. Praise be glory to God. Even in his loss. And I thought that was such a cool moment for television. And such a cool moment for him to be able, in that moment, even being, you know, winning the race, which is huge for a young person in the Xfinity Series. But everything that he had been through and fighting through the tears to, to tell the story and, and to praise God, it was just amazing. And I, I challenge anybody, just Google Chase Briscoe. And, and read the story about him and his wife. And the ironic part about it is, well, it's not ironic. I think it's kind of a maybe even a maybe even a God thing if you look at it. Kyle Bush and Samantha Bush, who actually have a child, but have struggled to get pregnant over the years. They have a foundation that they give money to couples and to help them go through the in vitro process to be able to become pregnant. So for him to hold off the guy who helps other people. Was, you know, going through that trying to get pregnant. It was just 
it was just a wild story, and it's something I thought was really cool uh, for NASCAR and something that people ought to pay attention to. JT Williamson on your radio. He is the host of the JT Show right here on Super Talk Mississippi from 10 until 1. We've been without JT on the radio for a while, but uh, hopefully before too terribly much longer, he will uh, be back sitting in that big chair as we've uh, all become accustomed to. And we were talking with Gary some. And by the way, we've had fun with Gary on. Uh, we, we have labeled him our NASCAR aficionado, which yeah, I hope you don't wait, take offense to that. I, saw, I thought I saw the word expert. And then there was a question mark behind that too. I think was it? <laughs> I don't know who's if that's Borky's fault or Haydad's fault for building the graphics, but uh, you know we, we've had a lot of fun with it, and people have uh, have enjoyed it. I was getting him to talk and, and kind of explain a little bit to me yesterday, though, about the ability for Cup drivers to go down and race at the Xfinity level. There are similarities to maybe AAA baseball in the big leagues, but it's not exactly the same because you've got a bunch of air quotes here, NASCAR big league drivers that choose to run in a bunch of Xfinity races. Yeah, well, they cut them back. It's called the Kyle Busch rule. Kyle owns his own team, and he used to race in a lot of them and won a lot of them. Does he just love racing and just wants to be behind the wheel as much as he can? And he does, and he hates. And if he can't win, he hates it, and that's why people hate him. Because he usually throws a fit. He's the modern day Dale Earnhardt. He's just not quite as mature. But the guy can drive. You can't take that away from him. And he does. He just loves to. He just loves to race. And that's what he does. But I think they've cut him back to. I think it's five races this year is all they can do. So uh, that was one of them that he did. And he was battling Briscoe for that lead yesterday. But Briscoe held him off. It was. It was. It was pretty cool there to see that. And to see that battle and, and to go forth with that. Um, glad to see the ratings come up. Glad to see new fans for NASCAR. You know, and you were talking about Gary. What's funny? You know, Gary and I used to do a racing show years ago, right there on the local station in Jackson. Believe that or not, that's uh, been a long time ago. But so Gary knows. He knows his stuff a little bit. He, yep. He, he, he keeps up with it. JT, we wish you uh, continued success in your recovery. Can't wait to have you back on the radio and uh, hope we can keep doing this until you're back full-time, just chatting with you here and there. Thank you, my friend. Have a good weekend. Hopefully it won't be long, Richard. Thank you. Absolutely. That's JT Williamson, host of the JT Show, joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Farm Bureau Mississippi. Tuesday on the island, not much going on. The parties are all over. The end did just passed on. The jungle drums are beating with the tales from late last night. Sure is good to hear from our friend JT. Ceasefire text line is open to you 601 879 4395. 601-879-4395. Experiencing fever, cough, sore throat, or shortness of breath, C Spire and UMMC are partnering to offer free COVID-19 screening through the C Spire Health app for all Mississippians experiencing symptoms. Learn more at cspirehealth.com. David uh, in Socher joins us. He says, awesome, love JT, even if he is a dog. Hammy in Hattiesburg sends us a picture of the grill. He's got chickens on the grill. Looks like, I think those are leg quarters. Maybe they're halves, but I 
think leg quarters is what we've got there. Says he's working hard on this uh, Friday afternoon. Man, those look good on the grill. Look good on the grill. Jason says, make sure that JT knows I can't stand his post-Trump politics, but I sure miss hearing and talking to him on the radio. It's like kind of a can't-we-all-just-get-along thing. It works. Message uh, on the ceasefire text line. We were talking about student attendance if uh, we were to go to a later baseball season. I work on campus at MSU, and there are significantly less students during the summer. Yeah, I appreciate the text message. I don't think anybody was arguing that there weren't fewer students. I, I, I used the example of Ole Miss. I said ten to 12,000 students on campus. That's about half, maybe slightly more than half. So, yeah, I mean, if you cut the number in half, there are going to be significantly fewer on campus, but I feel, still think it is a significant enough number when combined with Students who have leases that, you know, run year-round for apartments or houses and people who are within driving distance anyway, that you're still going to have a really big, like, no-drop-off student presence at baseball games, especially for big games. Now, if you've got a game on June 4th that is a Tuesday night when you're playing Alabama A&M, no disrespect intended, you're going to have 100 students there. But if you're playing you have that South Carolina, that, that's my point. That, that's the point. It's the exact same thing as it would have been on March 4th when it was 55 degrees. Right. You have 100 students show up. They're going to show up regardless. But if you're playing Georgia and you're tied for first in the West and Georgia's tied for second in the East and there are three weeks left or two weeks left in the regular season – and school's not in session, there are going to be 3,000 students there to go along with the other 9,000 fans that are there to create that 12,000-person environment that's world-renowned. It's just how it's going to be. You are certainly welcome to disagree with me that. I just don't think you can convince me otherwise. You're not wrong. I mean, you see it, again, uh, regionals are are done, super regionals are done when school is not in session, when the spring semester is over, and yet they find a way. They'll find a way here, too. You get to regional play, you couldn't put another student in with a shoehorn in Oxford or, or Starkville. Nope. And that's just a beautiful scene. There's nowhere else in America that's like it. And, and, and set aside, okay, just, just for a second, Okay, two things. One, that's not correct. There's one other place in America that's like it. Set aside the Ole Miss-Mississippi State thing just for a second. You did, hey, Dad, I was just going to say that Arkansas is comparable with the hog pen thing in left where they just pack people shoulder to shoulder out L- there. LSU would be comparable. I thought, you know, I'd throw LSU. Comparable, but it's bleachers. It's it's not the tailgate environment. Okay, I, okay, I, I see what you're saying then. You, you're, you're going, I, I see what you're getting at. And neither but, but, place but, has a collection of students in one spot either, right? Texas A&M uh, creates a student section in their stadium I think LSU has a student section, but it's not like... And, and the hog pen at Arkansas is different. That's not students. I mean, there are students that are out there, but that's families and everything, and it's all just crammed into one spot. 
Ole Miss and Mississippi State are the only two that I'm aware of that have a dedicated area that that's where the students go and sit, and it's just an unbelievable sight. When it's full and the weather's good and it's right, and nowhere better in all of America to watch a college baseball game. And I'm using the two stadiums collectively. You can hate me for that if you want to. I'm not play. I'm, I'm not doing the the wizard match back and forth. Whatever. I mean, you, you like what you like better. So, I think we can all agree, though, that the environments in both places are pretty darn good. I do love the people that are so fiercely loyal that they have to say the other venue sucks. Like, not only is mine better, but yours is bad. That always cracks me up. Because you know deep down that's not true. They're fiercely loyal enough to spend about a combined $3,000 on Twitter votes. I spent way more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um... Anyway, back to the, uh, the, the, we didn't get into the, the, the small print from the SEC's release today. In addition to standard infection prevention measures as approved by public health authorities and whatnot, caveats for everything we do now, everything. Uh, So in addition to facility cleaning and social distancing, recommended enhanced health and safety measures include, this is for the 14 campuses, 14 athletics departments with athletes starting to come back on June 8th. Enhanced education of all team members on health and wellness best practices, including but not limited to preventing the spread of COVID-19. So, we will have a kumbaya meeting of our team, our players, our staff when they come back, and we will say, we need you to wash your hands. We need you to wear a mask. We need you to social distance. And we need you to not kiss each other. I I, I guess. It's the same thing that every store, business, restaurant's got plastered on their front door when you walk in. I don't see anything don't, in this release about not throwing a football to each other, though. That must just be a, an oversight because can't do that. Yeah. A three-stage screening process that involves screening before student-athletes arrive on campus within 72 hours of entering athletics facilities and on a daily basis upon resumption of athletics activities. Now, note that that says... Screening process, not testing process. Testing of symptomatic team members, including all student-athletes, coaches, team support, and other appropriate individuals. So testing on those who are symptomatic. Immediate isolation of team members who are under investigation or die... That's not an NCAA thing. Under investigation or diagnosed with COVID-19 followed by contact tracing following CDC and local public health guidelines and a transition period that allows student-athletes to gradually adapt to full training and sport activity following a period of inactivity. Hmm. 
are we Dan Wolken wrote a great big old story today about you know college football and the SEC in particular willing to sacrifice the health of student athletes just to get them back because they got to have them back blah 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 but he did point out the fact that the robust testing that we're hearing about in professional sports leagues it's not gonna happen in college athletics expenses are a little bit greater and, and a little bit more valuable as well uh, when you're talking college a college football team is what 100 kids uh, when you combine the scholarship player, players and walk-ons and stuff like that um, that's different than an NFL roster of 53 for example and uh, one of which is worth billions the other one is valuable but not that valuable I mean programs are being cut everywhere for a reason so it, this got roasted today. It, same thing with the NBA, right? 15 players on a roster, and those teams are worth billions of dollars. It, it, he's not the only one that roasted the SEC for only testing symptomatic players, but trying to do the alternative is just really not realistic. And that, Anyway, more thoughts that I probably just don't need to say on the radio here. Okay. It's just not, it's not realistic to expect... 135 Division One college football programs to test 100 kids four times a week. It's just not realistic. And if they're doing these measures correctly, then the likelihood of them spreading it to each other is pretty small anyway. So... You're having to count yourself down, Borky, into the break. More thoughts from Borky when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi. Hey, Dad, I was doing a little reminiscing during the break, which is harder because it was a longer time ago. Mm. Thinking back to uh, summer school, early mm-hmm. college, and, and David and Socher is he's not he, either he's helping or he's not helping. He says, summer school in the 80s at Ole Miss, all 500 of us went to two classes in the morning, Sardis in the afternoon, and the square at night. And I said, well, there weren't but a couple of thousand in the late 90s and early 2000s, but it was fun. And I asked Borky, he said he did summer school three of the four or four of the five years he was there. I don't know how long your college career lasted. Four years. I, I did it the right way. Uh, that's, well, there's an argument to be made that actually you didn't do it the yeah, right way. Yeah, probably so. It, but, but I wasn't given the choice. See, it was uh, four and then you are cut off, so you better make mm-hmm. it in four. I understand that. Um, so, so it's a little PSA here for you. If you are a college student and you've never done summer school, do yourself a favor if you can and do it. And if you are a college student and you have done summer school, you know what I'm talking about. U- unless it's just changed dramatically. And I'm not saying it's because classes are easier, although the classes are easier. I don't or at doubt. least that was my experience. Were they all were they easier? Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. I didn't think I was crazy. Uh it's just fun. You're only taking at most two classes. A lot of people only take one class. And it's not like the study load is that heavy. And hanging out in the summer in a college town. 
highly recommend it. Just saying. You got a built-in excuse, too. Like, if your parents bug you about taking summer classes, just say, hey, this is what I did. Sorry, Dad. I know you're probably listening. Um, it, it would allow me to take a smaller course load so I can focus on each of each of them um, more, pay more attention to each of my classes in the fall and spring if I took summer classes since I had a lighter course load. So that was my excuse. What did you guys think of the story from The Athletic where writers from The Athletic interviewed 45 current Power 5 football players anonymously and got their thoughts on coming back to workouts and, and getting ready for the season? Not surprised. And that's the thing, when all of this started, in the first wave of ideas came out about you know doing the bubble and stuff like that, um, a lot of people kept saying, well, there's no way you're going to get players to agree to that be- because reasons. Um, athletes just want to play. I mean, they were asked about fans, no fans, uh, being the only group of people on campus and stuff like that. The vast majority of them, almost all of them, were like, I, I just want to play ball. I don't care. I feel safe. I'm good. I trust my school. I want to play football. 50% crowd, great. That's better than 0%, but if it was 0%, I'd play too. That, that, this should be the least surprising thing imaginable because football players, just they just want to play football. Basketball players just want to hoop. That's how they're wired. And so these ideas of... Playing in front of no fans it might be crazy to you, but to the players, they don't care as long as they get to play. Here are some of the quotes. Group of five linebacker. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think the general consensus is we want to play, but the levels to how badly we want to play and how badly we want to get back to it, it kind of varies. Some dudes are like, screw it. I'm not going to get sick. Let's play. And other dudes will probably be scared to death like, Oh, man, I don't want to get sick. Screw that. Fair enough. <laughs> they also used a different word, by the way. I censored that. And then I censored what you censored. Almost 80% of players survey were comfortable returning to campus even if their fellow students were not allowed to do the same. There were some exceptions. From a Power 5 offensive lineman. If only athletes are on campus, it would not feel like our health is a priority. With adequate testing available, I'm not worried about the return to campus. My biggest concern is what will happen if and when a player tests positive. Power 5 quarterback. I wouldn't be concerned unless the numbers of cases suddenly went back up. Scale of 1 to 5, 1 extremely uncomfortable, 5 extremely comfortable, 0 players said that they would be extremely uncomfortable, only 3 went with a 2. Power 5 punter, because kickers matter. Kickers are people too. Honestly, I'd be fine returning today. They want us to wear a mask and have us have hand sanitizer in every room we walk in to feel better, I'll do it. I'm just ready for this to be behind us. What about fans? More than half the players voted to delay the season if fans were not allowed in. Of the 45 respondents, 24 said they would rather delay the season 
than play without fans. Power 5 QB. If it's not safe for fans, it's probably not safe for players. Group of five defensive linemen. I don't do everything I do in the summer to not have fans watch us play. If they said half capacity, then I'd say let's do it. For a lot of group of five teams, half capacity would be an increase over what they normally draw. Yeah. I'm not being flippant when I say that. It's just true. You ever watch a Mac game on Tuesday night? There are like 8,000 people in 30,000-seat stadiums. Power five linebacker. We love our fans, but I'd have to play the season. I'd play without the fans. I love the game too much. I put too much time and effort into it. Fans missing will hurt, but at the same time, this is the game we fell in love with. We didn't fall in love with it because people were watching back when we were playing as kids. I wonder how prevalent that feeling is. It's, Most it's, players on. I'm sorry. Go ahead, hey Dad. It's it's probably not that prevalent. I would imagine that it's more prevalent amongst guys who are ready to go ahead and get into the NFL. Most players unconcerned with contracting the virus themselves but several were concerned with what it could mean to their communities. I know it's a lot of money to do the testing, but it's worth it to do that than let the virus tear down the university by somebody getting it and spreading it through the whole entire city. That's a Power 5 linebacker. Not one player out of the 45, not one, that were interviewed by the Athletics said they were extremely worried about contracting the virus. (laughs) Power 5 running back, bluntly. I'm not worried about getting infected. At our age, we don't die. FCS receiver. Being a senior, I'd much rather delay. I want to enjoy it for family and friends. Power 5 linebacker. Football is not football without fans. There's no point in playing at home if you can't even have fans. You might as well play at a neutral site. Group of five defensive end wants to play regardless because he said delaying the season could complicate the NFL draft process next spring. Quote, if you have bowl games in January, you have to decide if you're going to play in that. Then you have pre-draft process as far as finding an agent, signing. Then you have senior bowls, training for the combine, the pro days. Keeping the calendar as is is what's best for the athletes. I agree with that. Power 5 quarterback. If there's not as many people there then there's not really as much of a risk of it spreading. And we'd still be able to work on the football side of things. And that's in reference to, I, I should have added context there, I'm sorry, that's that's in reference to the uh, having a closed down campus but you still being there. Or a partially open campus but you still having to be there. So he's saying fewer people around, the less likely I'm going to get it, so why should I care? Sounds to me like players want to play. That's not surprising, though, to me. No, it's not. Yeah. Does it at all, though, fly in the face of the narrative that, oh, these colleges and universities don't care about players, they only care about themselves? Players want to play. Well, the way I would look at that is, you know, the same way you sort of have to look after your kids, right? I mean, your kids always want to go outside and play, but there are some times when, you know... 
conditions aren't ripe for that. So yeah, you have to rein them in a little bit. And it's not it's not exactly the same, but at the same time, you know, these guys will go out there and play in the middle of a hurricane for a lot of them. You know, sometimes you just have you have to let the adults make the decisions. Yeah, you're right. Wait, what's wrong with playing in a hurricane? Huh? It's tough to tough to gauge the uh, the wind. Ask ask Artie Cosby about you know some hard winds sometimes. Who's Artie Cosby? Uh, he he had a kick blow back on him at Memorial Stadium. Why are you making me talk about this painful stuff? I'm not sure. I, I don't know that story. Would you tell it for me? Could you could you explain more? Now you've gone too far. What what are you talking about? <laughs> Cross? I swear to God. Sports Talk Mississippi with you streaming at supertalk.fm. We will wrap up the 4 o'clock hour right after this. He didn't have the same look that the uh, that Pat Riley had. <laughs> no, that, that was as, 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 as gently as you could have put that, yeah. I mean, J- Jerry Sloan, completely comfortable in his Joseph A. Banks suit. White shirt with a button-down collar, you know, his black dress shoes on, had his white grandpa hair, and it was great. P- Pat Riley's, you know, Armani slicked back hair, cool as they come, but a great basketball mind, Jerry Sloan. Hey, and you like bourbon, don't you? I have been known to drink bourbon every now and then. It's not my favorite, but I I, I have had it, yeah. You like Peyton Manning? He's all right. Of the Mannings, he's my favorite. Is he really? Yeah, I wonder why that is. Well, no, I get what you're (laughs) saying, but how is Archie not your favorite? Come on. No. Archie is universally loved. That's... There's a small segment of the universe that would disagree with you. Anyway, you were gonna. You, I'm sure this was segueing into. Something. It was headed somewhere, but hold on. You mean to tell me that there are lots of Mississippi State fans that do not like Archie Manning? Yes, I mean to tell you that. I hate to break that bu- that bubble for you if you didn't know that already. I mean, that's like saying that there are tons of Ole Miss fans that don't like Bailey Howell. That that's not possible. Not only is it possible, it is how life is on this planet, I promise you. Must be a miserable existence. It's all right. We, anyway, we for by. Tennesseans who need their spirits raised by Peyton Manning again, he's there for them by helping to raise a spirit. Hardy har Yes. The, yeah. Hardy <laughs> har har Manning is the headline big-name investor in a new high-end Tennessee-made bourbon whiskey, which will be available for purchase exclusively in the Volunteer State starting next Tuesday. $200 a bottle, Sweeten's Cove bourbon. Sweeten's Cove is a nine-hole golf course in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee, right off of... um, Right outside of Chattanooga. And it is, by all accounts, spectacular. It was described to me recently, actually earlier today somebody told me this, said that Sweeten's Cove, for its builder, was like a golf version of Field of Dreams. 
if you will build it, they will come. Mm. And they have come. And it's gorgeous. Nine holes. You can walk or ride. Multiple flags on each green so you can play it as an 18-hole course. So you've got Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, Jim Nance, Andy Roddick, and singer-songwriter Drew Holcomb all investing in this uh, bourbon label. Sweeten's Cove Tennessee bourbon whiskey will eventually make its way to nearby states, although in limited supply. And they're taking the first 20 bottles and auctioning them off or donating them to charities to help raise money for good causes, including COVID-19 relief. That is a steep price tag for a brand new bourbon. Yeah. It's a street price tag for bourbon. You're a bourbon guy, I know for sure. I don't know about your your bourbon drinking habits, hey dad, but I'm not going to pretend like I'm cultured in it, although I think I can tell the difference between like Evan Williams Green Label and something that's not trash. But at some point at some point it's true isn't there like a price point where once you get to about the hundred dollar bottles you're just buying for name and not actual flavor anymore because how much better could a hundred dollar the right hundred dollar bottle of bourbon actually get you know bourbon aficionados or bourbon snobs would tell you there's absolutely a difference um i don't know i mean pappy van winkle is the name that everybody immediately goes to that is wildly overpriced. Peyton Manning's bourbon, though. Sweeten's Cove Tennessee Bourbon Whiskey. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll be right back. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour with you. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Vorky, Brian Haydad. Rippy is off today. Welcome to the weekend. Just after 5 on this Friday. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and join and uh, go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Our good friend, John Harris, coming to us from the Lone Star State. You can follow John on Twitter at jharrisfootball. What's up, my man? Not much, Richard. Just uh, dealing with 95 degrees out, and I guess summer has arrived in Houston. Uh, so that's, uh, it's been a great thing, especially trying to take my run about an hour ago. There you go. 22nd of May, the official start of summertime in the uh, in the state of Texas. So, pretty good news on the college football front this week. The Division One Council says June 1st you can return. The SEC votes today, uh, allowing schools uh, June 8th to start bringing players back onto campus. Feels like you're going to see other conferences following suit. That's going to be happening all over the country. I'm not saying that it's a slam dunk at this point, John, but it feels like we are trending in the direction of playing football on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, that feels really good to hear. There's no doubt, Richard, obviously. And, and you know, my, my partner and I, uh, the voice of the Texans, Mark Vandermeer, we do our Texans radio show, and we've been doing it from home, Comrades units the whole time. And, you know, it's fun to talk about football, but we always pretty much start every show saying, look, we understand where football falls in the priority order, and, and that is, you know, let's get people well, uh, he- healthy, let's get them well, and uh, let's try and get back to whatever our, our quote-unquote new normal, and I think I hate that. Uh, I used to hate the phrase, it is what it is. I think I hate the phrase, the new normal, uh, but 
to get back to whatever it is we're going to be as a society, as Americans, et cetera, going forward. And the one thing that I know, and I probably have said this before, the one thing that I know the least about in life, more than likely, number one is women. Number two is medical. <laughs> I know nothing medically at, at all. Uh, to a point when I was coaching, the trainer said, look, uh, this kid's got a hangnail. He's out for the rest of the season. I'd be like, okay, if you say so. I mean, I just wouldn't argue at all because I just, I just don't know. And, and it's one of those things where I think we all try to play, uh, you know, amateur doctor in some sense. Well, I saw this on uh, ABSMNC that said we're not going to be playing football for five years. And, and I, don't, I don't get into that. I, I just try and – Wait, wait what Richard, network was that? Yeah, I don't know. I think I tried to put them all together in one. Just yeah, so it's well anybody. done. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, as soon as you say one, you offend everybody else, and I'm trying not to do that because I'd like for people to like me and respect me and respect what I say. But I think the fact that the schools are, you know, moving forward. Look, there are going to be some people that say, oh, wow, that's just because football has to be played because it pays for the school department and they're for a lot of departments in the school and the athletic department, et cetera. Yeah, there's probably some of that. Yeah, I don't think there's any question people understand where football falls uh, in the priority order at a university. I don't think there's any question, especially uh, in the parts of the area, uh, parts of the country where we live, Richard. I don't think there's any question. We all know uh, what football does uh, for the athletic departments and the universities in our area of the country. But I think it's like that throughout the country. I think even places where basketball is hugely important, they know that football, uh, you know, pushes the envelope. And I think people, A, want to see football be i think there's a part of a lot of people that are like man we really need football you know we need something that we you know we've already been without the nba at the end of its season we're, we missed all major league baseball i think i saw something in the washington post some guy said well this all this pandemic has shown us is that we don't need sports uh yeah that couldn't be anything more further from the truth i think what we found is we love the competition and the fervor as a fan, as an analyst, to watch a game, to analyze, to break it down, to spend those three hours you know, watching football, watching basketball, I think it's quite the opposite. So it's good news, and I hope it continues in that direction. You know, we still have got a, a ways before we can you know, really feel confident about what's actually going to happen and how it's going to happen. But uh, I'll say this. I hope that I see your smiling face Labor Day weekend, Richard Cross. Yeah, me too, because that means that uh, not only are we playing games, we're playing games as scheduled, and we've gotten to the point where we believe it's okay to play neutral site games. And there are a couple of them happening in the state of Texas. Obviously in Arlington, you got Alabama and Southern Cal, Ole Miss and Baylor. Um, uh, it was reported this week. I'm not, even, I'm not going to do it to you this time, John. I, I'm not even going to say it, not going to put you in a bad spot, unless somebody from the Texans have said it officially. Or do you want me to just keep moving? Oh, uh, we might. We can keep moving. I think I'll keep my job regardless. But uh, okay, I do think we're going to we're going to see you over the weekend, probably later in the weekend than <laughs> fair earlier. Enough. Yeah, fair enough. Um, uh, there was some reporting from uh, some other outlets this week that uh, that said that game was likely to be played on Sunday night. So we'll see. Uh, when all the official announcements come down. What about on the NFL front, though? Uh, we, we talked a couple of weeks ago. I, I think for a month or so, there hasn't been a whole lot of debate among many people that the NFL is going to play. But how and when and what it looked like in terms of fans has very much been up in the air. 
Do you feel like there's any more clarity on the fans in the stands piece of it as far as the NFL is concerned? No, I, I don't I don't think so. Uh, I mean, things have, have changed so rapidly since, since March. It, it felt like the night that we learned that Rudy Gobert tested positive was the same night we learned Tom Hanks tested positive, that we learned that the NBA was shutting it down. I mean, it all happened so fast and everything was happening so fast. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get to a point where, you know, probably a week or maybe even two weeks ago, we're going, are we, are schools even going to start on time? Are schools going to have to be virtual to a point where we are today going, well, hey, wait a second. Not only are we going to have school, we're going to start it around early August and get this thing done uh, by Thanksgiving that basically December becomes essentially the, the holiday break because there's a fear for coronavirus. And so, yeah, there will be in-person class. So this whole thing has moved really, really quickly. And we're still looking at, you know, a week left in May, then June, and most of July before training camp would actually start in late July. So I think there's still a lot that has to be determined about what can happen, uh, what, you know, what fans can be in the stands, if any, what broadcasters can be on the field, in the booth, if any. Uh, I think those things are all going to still take some time to work out. But if there's anything that NFL teams and their personnel have had lately, it's time. They're not encumbered with games going on, uh, free agency going on, uh, you know, rookies or draft or anything like that. I mean, if there's anything that I know that people in our business ops have had, it's time. So I know they've been going through various scenarios. Different groups have been meeting constantly to try and figure out, okay, well, if we can have this many fans in the stands, how do we do it? If we can have this many fans, how do we do it? So I know that we, and I speak for the Texans, but I guarantee you, I speak for the Texans, I can speak for a lot of teams in the NFL. They all along have been thinking about, okay, here's what happens if we start September, no fans. Here's what happens if we start in October with no fans. Here's if we start with, you know, middle of October with fans. And we've gone through, I would imagine, every single scenario such that when the NFL does make a final decision, here's what we're going to do. I think we're obviously going to be ready for that. But I would think the colleges, I think colleges and the NFL sort of kind of feed off one another. I think the NFL is watching the colleges to see what they're going to do. And the colleges, I think, have been watching the NFL to see what they're going to do. And I think even though they're making their decisions independent of one another, it feels like they're sort of looking at one another going, okay, are you guys going to do it? Well, what about you guys? Yeah. Okay, you guys are doing this? And they're sort of feeding off one another. Uh, but I know this. I know in our building there have been discussions on pretty much every scenario you could possibly think of, including playing at a neutral site for weeks on end. Those things are all out. The only thing I know that's off the table are going to be games played in different countries this year. That's the only thing I know for a fact is completely off the table for 2020 in the NFL. Really is a fascinating time. And, you know, it, it feels like, John, we're starting to get a few more answers, but we're still kind of in that land of we've all got questions and answers are a whole lot harder to come by. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I think a lot of it just has to do with this is a virus that is so completely new to people that every single day it feels like there's a new discovery. Okay, well, it's transmitted from the stuff on your shoes. Oh, no, it's not the stuff on your shoes. Uh, it's being in closed groups. Okay, well, it's being six feet apart, it, you know, all this, it, everything is brand spanking new. And so just like, you know, when you play a football team and you're seeing them for the first time, that first quarter is such a nightmare because you're like, oh, my God, they came out in a stack 3-3 and we weren't ready for it. 
okay, now we got to adjust. And then you spend the whole game adjusting. I think it's kind of the same thing. Everything is so new, so brand new, that you don't really know how to react to all of it uh, until you have some data on it. I think we're finally starting to get some data on it. I think that's given people in power the opportunity in both the NFL and colleges to kind of take a look at it and go, okay, this is what the data is now telling us. Okay, maybe we can move forward, and maybe this is how we should plan to move forward and have a few different plans just in case. But, yeah, it's, <laughs> this is so incredibly unique, man. I, I know I've never seen it, and I hope I never see it again in my lifetime. I agree with you on that front. John, thanks as always for your time. Enjoy a Memorial Day weekend. You too, brother. Take care, Richard. That is John Harris from the Houston Texans joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Up next, we will chat with Mike Bianco. We'll talk some college baseball with uh, one of the coaches who is involved in kind of shaping some of the language about possibly moving the season back. We're back after this. couple of teams would be going home at the SEC Baseball Tournament, and if things have gone really well for you for the last couple of days, you would be sitting at your hotel and resting and passing the time until you get to semifinal Saturday. But instead, in this alternate universe we are living, all we can do is think about what it's been like in the past. Mike Bianco joins us right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Farm Bureau. Coach, uh, this is that week uh, where some of your teams have had some magic in Hoover, Alabama, and um, I guess people sometimes debate the merits of the conference tournament one way or the other, but this is traditionally a really fun week in the SEC. It, it really is, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's you know probably the most difficult you know tournament you know maybe outside the College World Series uh, that you can play in. I mean, you know, every year there's you know, could be as many as, you know, five or six, you know, you know, number one seeds and certainly, you know, uh, two, three, uh, maybe even four national seeds that are actually in that tournament, you know, that's, you know, closed up into about five days of baseball. Uh, just really exciting. And, you know, a time of the year where, yeah, I think you get your first taste of, you know, you got to win this game. If you lose, you may go home or if you haven't lost yet, you know, uh, you play at a different time. And so, you know, more of a tournament atmosphere where a lot of those uh, early tournaments that we play in uh, prior to conference is more round robins. You're just playing, you know, at a neutral site against three different teams. And so it uh, really, I think, prepares you uh, for, for the NCAA tournament. Have you gotten to the point since baseball has gone away this year where you're not constantly being reminded that you should be playing or – are there like signposts along the way where you go, wow, this is what we would have been doing this weekend. This is what we would be looking forward to next week. Well, probably like a lot of our fans, uh, but maybe more so. Here's a little uh, tidbit for you. So, uh, obviously, I've got a son that plays at LSU, a son that plays at Louisville, a son that was playing at Oxford High School, a uh, daughter that plays tennis at Oxford High School, and, of course, my schedule. So there's all these alerts in my calendar. When you download these calendars, and I'm not real tech-savvy, I don't know how to get them off. And so constantly it's buzzing, you know, and says, oh, okay, Drew's about to play you know, Florida or Ben's about to play North Carolina or, you know, Catherine's about to play uh, Tupelo in tennis. And uh, they've been going off. So it's, you know, kind of the, the, the inside joke at the Bianco you know, family of, you know, hey, we better hurry up because, you know, Ben's about to start playing or, you know, Catherine's about to start playing. 
Yeah, each Thursday during the baseball season, I've had the because I've got the calendar subscribed to with the baseball schedule where it's popped up. It's like, hey, tomorrow, Ole Miss baseball at Alabama. I was like, oh, right. Somebody's going to teach me how to get that off because uh, you know it's one thing for for just the Ole Miss cat calendar to buzz, but uh, and really, my Ole Miss calendar doesn't buzz as much uh, just because they were hand put in there. Uh, but the, all, all the other ones buzz, you know, and so I'm getting a little tired of them. We got some really big college baseball news yesterday, and your name uh, was featured in this. So five Power Five coaches on a committee kind of putting together a proposal to possibly, starting in 2022, push the college baseball season back about a month, maybe five weeks, into the third week of of March. Um, Said in the article at D1 Baseball that you, along with a bunch of other coaches, had kind of been consulted and had talked about you know your feelings and, and given input on this process. What can you tell us uh, about this that maybe we didn't read in the article yesterday or, or just that you think is important about maybe moving forward with this idea? Well, well first of all, you know, I, it wasn't my proposal. It was really put together by Eric Dakich, who's the head coach at the University of Michigan. And really being pushed, I think, from the northern schools, but they're trying to to show how it's really it helps all of us. And and, and really, I was on a, a conference call about a week ago, where uh, but probably the last ten days or so, I've, I've seen it, uh, seen the documents, I've seen it laid out. So basically, and I didn't read the article that you're talking about, but basically the premise is, you know, would it would, would it be better for college baseball to start a month later? Uh, Certainly from a, you know, the northern school standpoint, when you look at a Michigan or an Indiana or Penn State or some of these northern schools, they play their first four weekends on the road. You know, we play normally three weekends at home and one on the road, and that, that, that one road game is, you know, obviously in a, in a good climate area. Well, they have to play all four, and so budget-wise, it's just astronomical what these schools in the Big Ten and others uh, not to mention the mid-majors, the Eastern Illinois, and you know those types of schools, the right states, and we've seen them come down to play us. But remember, they're doing that every weekend for the first month of the season. And so, would it be more fair? And we've been talking. This has been talked about for for you know last five to ten years. But the proposal, what it shows is, you know, the attendance, what it is in minor league baseball uh, during June and July, and would would baseball become a money maker? Would, would baseball? And we know at Ole Miss, we know in the Southeastern Conference, you know, a lot of us, you know, you know, draw very well, but nearly impossible. What they're saying for Michigan and Indiana and Ohio State for those schools to to draw well attendance wise. So I understand that. Uh, would it help us? You know, they, they're trying to sell that, that it would. My personal belief is it would. I don't say it would hurt us. I don't know how much it would help us, you know, attendance-wise. I mean, you know, we, we average you know, nearly 9,000 people in a game. Uh, I, I don't know how much it would help us. But it is cold. It is cold that some of the weekends in the beginning, it's kind of hit or miss in, in you know, uh, late February and early March. So I understand that. I just... Uh, I'd like to hear more from you know, the administrators, you know, the athletic directors. I'd like them to, to read over the proposal and, and see what they say, because there's some things that obviously some hurdles to, 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 to get over. And some of that is, you know, you know, we're playing most of our season, uh, or at least half the season, when we're not in school. 
That's not yeah. what college, you know, sports were really designed to do. And so now in the, the era of student welfare, you're going to have to pay for those kids to be housed and feed those kids. You know, what does that cost? And what's the, you know, how does it offset? What about summer baseball? What about recruiting? What about, you know, summer camps now that they didn't pass the third assistant where a lot of the third assistants make their money, you know, from summer camps? Now, what does, how does that affect that? And so there's, there's certainly some, you know, some, some questions still out there, but, but I will give, you know, Eric and a lot of the coaches, they've done a lot of homework. They spent a lot of time on this, but, but I think it's still in its infancy and a lot of, a lot of questions still to be answered. And, and you raised the point about administrators needing to see it. I mean, even if you had all roughly 300 baseball coaches, you had n- unanimous support among Division One baseball coaches, that doesn't necessarily mean that th- this gets passed, right? No doubt. You know, and you got to be careful the way the legislation, you know, it's all legislation and how it works, and ultimately it comes down to conferences is voted on it. So how it works basically is, you know, coaches go to their athletic directors, uh, and, and the athletic directors in their meetings, you know, th- vote and decide amongst the SEC or the Sun Belt or the Southland or the ACC, and then the certain conferences vote on it. And, and you know, usually these things, they, they look at the, the, the money. You know, is it is it worth doing? What's the cost of it? And uh, do, do we want to do something like this? And so it's not as easy as just, hey, the fans want it, the, the schools want it, so let's do it. Because at the end of the day, it's the athletic departments that have to pay to make it happen. And so it's it's a it's a pretty big um, um, piece of legislation that somebody would have to draw up. Uh, but but I, again, I, I always uh, err to say, hey, let, let's not just you know just because it seems difficult, let's not think that it can't get done. But uh, but it's interesting. Do you think there would be a negative impact on summer ball? Oh, certainly. You know, uh, but, but how I big a deal is that? Well, I don't know if that necessarily is what we're we're put together. I think that would be that would be low as far as negatives. There is some of that. Uh, basically, you know, uh, you would finish your season uh, at the end of June, your regular season, and the postseason would be, uh, from what I understand, in late June and into July. And um, and so, you know, to finish up the national championship game, you know, at the end of July. People would have to, you know, I think, kind of digest that a little bit, and it'd, it'd be different. Uh, but you know, when you read the proposal and you start to look at it, uh, I understand it. Uh, again, for us, I don't know how attractive it is. It's certainly not super unattractive. I mean, I get it, and you know, everybody wants to play in a little warmer weather. I think the key is when you start looking at the conferences and it, are you going to get the votes to win? Is can a school like McNeese State? You know, can a school like uh, Jackson State, can can those schools really draw enough to where it makes it lucrative to them? Because at the end of the day, you know, the Power Five, you know, are only five, you know. And so even though their 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 vote is a little weighted, you know, we don't have enough votes to, 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 to flip it. You know, it's going to have to be, you know, uh, some of those mid-majors, the, you know, the, the Charleston Southerns, you know, the Big South and those types of conferences, you know, do they want to do this? And, you know, it's not going to be enough that the Big Ten or some other Power Fives want it. I think it, and so again, I think it's, it's far from the finish line. It's far from, but it's, but it's, it's neat. And again, they, they've, they've worked really hard. Uh, but I think there'll be a lot of, 
you know, back and forth before it actually gets close to a vote. Really appreciate your perspective. Thanks, Coach. My pleasure. That's Mike Bianco, head baseball coach. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Appreciate both John Harris and Mike Bianco joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line in the 5 o'clock hour. Favorites.com, that's the number, or excuse me, that's the uh, website for you to go and uh, get a quote, possibly save some money on your home insurance, your auto insurance, or certainly if you bundle your coverage, you'll be dealing with local agents. Favorites.com. That is Mississippi Farm Bureau. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from Ceasefire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash business. Hey, Dan. What's your reaction to what Mike Bianco said? I was a little surprised. I thought he was uh, going to come out and be a little bit more in favor of all those changes, and 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 he he seemed you know not not that he shouldn't have caution, and not that you know his questions aren't very very uh, relevant and very very you know spot on in my opinion. But I, I just I just in my mind thought he was going to come out and be like, oh yeah, we got to make these changes for the betterment of the sport. Yeah. Um... I feel like his reaction was different than our reaction when we kind of read the story from yeah. uh, from Kendall Rogers, and and obviously Kendall spent a ton of time working on that story, uh, had talked to a bunch of coaches that were involved with it, and I think from our conversation with Kendall earlier today, it's something he's really excited about and optimistic about, but probably a reminder that uh, sometimes you need more than one perspective when you you look at something that would represent as big a shift as this would represent in college baseball. Yeah. I mean, you you know, you don't want to end up in an echo chamber and just everybody agreeing with you. You do need to hear some dissenting. And I wouldn't go so far as to say what what coach Bianco was saying was uh dissenting. But you know, he has legit concerns and and, and you know, it'll be interesting to see how universities and and you know, the people who want to push this agenda forward answer those concerns. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating stuff, and uh, appreciate him kind of shedding some light on that. Said he had been involved in it a little, had had some conversations, had read the proposal, but not necessarily the article from uh, from D1 Baseball. And he certainly framed it, 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 even though it was not framed in the article yesterday that we read. In fact, it was framed differently, where they said, you know, previous iterations of this have been about competitive balance. That's not what this is about. It's about, you know, blah, 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 blah. And when we heard from Mike a, a few minutes ago, he very clearly laid out that this is something that would be very, very good for the northern schools. It helps with their budgets. It helps with their ability to play some more home games early in the season. It's a good thing for them. Said doesn't necessarily hurt us, but he also said he doesn't know that it helps teams in the south, teams like Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU, Florida, Georgia. Etc. How crazy is it that the only in college sports, the only schedule adjusting we might see uh, as a result of the coronavirus had nothing to do with it? Say that one more time. That the only schedule adjusting 
that we're going to see as far as like start and end date is not going to be actually because of coronavirus. I thought at the time, because you're going to see it in the NBA. You're going to see a new start date in the NBA. Uh, the New Orleans uh, VP of Basketball Operations, whatever you want to call David Griffin, uh, spoke yesterday that he is a loud voice in Adam Silver's ear about wanting to move the season to December, and he said that he's not the only one. In fact, there's a majority. The NBA is going to start in December moving forward. The only adjustment... You think starting next year? Starting starting this December, yeah. And, and that'll be a, a permanent change. Based on that and all kinds of reporting and stuff, it seems like that's where it's headed. College football appears to not be having a delayed start. And if college football doesn't have a delayed start, college basketball is not going to have a delayed start. Baseball might have a schedule adjustment, but it's because of something that is completely unrelated to the coronavirus. Yeah. I mean, we, we obviously had major schedule adjustment, adjustments in the immediate, but not yeah. necessarily in the long term. Which is a good thing, I guess, is a long-winded way to say it. it's exciting that there is the prospect of not having a major disruption outside of the immediate season cancelings, but a major disruption in college sports. If we can start football on time, the schedule begins, and it's relatively normal. Yeah. You know, we, we're all kind of looking at the announcements that are coming school by school, athletic director by athletics director about, you know, we're going to safely begin to bring students back on June 8th. We're going to take a phased approach to this. I, I just saw a uh, tweet from M Live, which is the one of the Michigan newspapers. It's kind of like AL.com. And it said... Uh, don't expect Michigan's football team back in Schimbeckler Hall anytime soon. And link to the story, Whitmer extends order that shut down gyms, salons, and other businesses to June 12th. I am pretty sure that a phone call from Jim Harbaugh would uh, get that uh, taken care of. Lickety split. I don't know. She seems, seems to be to. trying to jones for a vice presidential nomination. She she is is relishing the spotlight. Well, I mean that's all well and good, but if the most popular man in the state and that's what Jim Harbaugh is comes out against you, you know, chances of being reelected go down. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the head football coach at a big college doesn't carry as much weight in the upper and lower peninsulas as it does in the deep south. Well, didn't the upper open? Didn't the UP open? I don't know. Conveniently the where the governor's vacation house is. Insider lingo that Michael Bork. Oh, the UP of Michigan. Yes. They call what? They call them Upers. I'm sure they do. <laughs> That's a beautiful part of the country. The the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, man. I got some lakes and whatnot. Oh, yeah, golf courses. I hear they're great. Just only go in the three months where it's not snowing. (laughs) You know that was funny, Cross. Aunt Becky's going to jail. I guess her Uncle Jesse is, too. (laughs) But for a little bit longer. Not her Uncle Jesse, but Uncle Jesse. Anyway. Lori Lachlan and her husband, Massimo Giannulli, 
of Massimo fame has is he really each agreed. Yes, yes, it's the Massimo that. brand, the fashion designer. Yeah. Uh, he's also the uh, the guy that created the G4 line in golf, which is like shoes and gloves and some other stuff. Anyway, I know all about it. Peter Millar bought that out. Uh, anyway, they've be, uh, both agreed to uh, plead guilty to one count of conspiracy in the college admissions bribery scandal that was dubbed Operation Varsity Blues. Under the terms of the plea agreement, Aunt Becky will be sentenced to two months in prison and the blue jean guy will be sentenced to five months. Is it blue jeans that Massimo made that were exciting? That were, like, popular? I thought they just made, it? like, t-shirts and stuff. T-shirts. Okay, the t-shirt guy. Whatever. Fashion expected correspondent to enter their pleas. over here. Uh, they were expected to uh, enter their pleas this morning. They were accused of paying $500,000 to get their daughters into the University of Southern California using falsified athletic profiles. I, I, I think I probably asked this question out loud months and months and months ago. Why did they not just call the university's foundation and say, we have a $500,000 gift for school X if our daughters are admitted? Would have happened 100% of the time. Yes! Never understood why they didn't just go the big donation route. Maybe not at Harvard? I mean, maybe Harvard's got so much money that you can't buy your way in. Or maybe it's just going to be a Southern Cal would have taken them in. No question in my mind. And, and, and Southern Cal is a private school with big coffers and whatnot, but half a million dollars to the school of whatever. School of Education. Engineering school. Business school. Theater arts. Yeah, whatever it is, write half a million dollar check. Well, half a million is not going to quite get it, but for seven fifty, I'm pretty sure we can uh, get both of them in. And guess what? It's legal. Anyway, they were among dozens of parents swept up in the investigation of admissions consultant Rick Singer, who was admitted to bribing athletic coaches to gain admission for his clients' children through what he called a side door. He also hired proctors and test takers to help his clients cheat on the SAT. That guy kind of sucks. Lachlan and Massimo were the, uh, I'm sorry, Aunt Becky and Massimo were the highest profile defendants <laughs> remaining in the case. They had maintained their innocence, even though they knew they weren't, and sought to have the charges dismissed on the grounds of government misconduct. And now Aunt Becky's going to jail. Hmm, that's tough.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.